Welcome to the IT Research Finder podcast. Today with me, we'll talk, we're going to talk about e-commerce. With me is Jan Sheke, economist working in the OECD. And he's the author of the report, Unpacking E-commerce, which is published by the OECD. This report is also the winner of our top report award 2019 in the category e-commerce. Hello, Jan, and welcome. Hi, Elena, and thanks very much for having us. We are very happy that we got this uh, prize, and we are happy that we can share a bit of the findings here with your listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks to you, and our pleasure. So we're going to, let's start into the topic. Um, this market, the e-commerce market, is increasingly growing at present times. Um, however, what are the main obstacles to selling online mentioned by companies that you find from your report? Yes, uh, thank you very much for this question. Well, the e-commerce market is growing indeed. So if we look at OECD countries, we find now that close to one quarter of all firms is participating in e-commerce. Um, and e-commerce is accounting for about 20% of total turnover. Um, but it's not only growing, it's also changing. So traditionally, we, we find a large share of B2B transactions in total e-commerce and still uh, sectors like manufacturing and wholesale account for a lot of e-commerce that we're seeing, but we see a lot of dynamism in business to consumer uh, transactions. Um, and here we see a lot of entry of products in new marketplaces. So if you, if you ask about the obstacles, I think it's good to mm. keep in mind what we're looking at. There is different areas, but business to consumer, there is really a lot of dynamism going on here. With this in mind, I'd like to highlight, I think, three main obstacles uh, with regard to e-commerce that uh, firms are citing. Uh, the first is that products are usually considered not suitable for online sales. So that's in particular the case for firms not selling online. I'm going to go into detail right now. Uh, then there is high costs for delivering returns. And there's challenges with regard to the legal frameworks. And I'll go through one by one. So product suitability, that is one of the core obstacles for many firms, but in particular for firms that are currently not selling online. About 60% of firms almost are mentioning this as an obstacle. This seems obvious, but there's an important takeaway that we try to highlight in, in the report. And that is uh, the lack of product suitability is not necessarily a given. So if you think about custom tailored shirts, for example, these are very hard to sell online, but they have been business model innovations, providing, for example, local fitting rooms or body scanners in your town where you can go and take a measure of your body and then order shirts online. So many more examples like this in the report show the product suitability is an issue, but it can be overcome by product uh, by, by firm innovation. The second big issue, I think, that, that remains an obstacle and increasingly so for many firms is logistics and high costs related to delivering returns. And that's particularly the case for firms that are already selling online and for SMEs. Uh, here again, we highlight uh, possible solutions uh, related to technologies. So, for example, JD.com, that's a Chinese retailer, estimates that drones could reduce shipping costs by up to 70%. And finally, I think that's also an important uh, problem that is maybe often overlooked, and that is regard uh, re regards uh, problems related to the legal frameworks. And that affects many firms, but it also affects in particular exporters. So it, the, the, that can be unspecific. If you think about uh, 
firms responding, I'm not sure which rules to follow because they, they're working both in online and offline spaces, for example. But they can also be very specific. If you think about cross-border disputes, consumer protection, different countries, foreign tax rules, and so on. So that is something that, that particularly is an issue for, for online sellers that exports, because these also uh, export more frequently than normal the normal firms, traditional firms, and they export to a larger number of countries. If you think about all the legal uh, frameworks that you have to deal with when you are a small, medium enterprise exporting to 20 countries, you can imagine what this implies. And I think here we try to highlight that there's an important role for, uh, for policymakers to, to simplify regulation and uh, enhance cross-border coordination. Brilliant. Well, we take that on board. Um, what about e-commerce trends from the perspective from the consumer perspective could you describe in some details these uh, e-commerce trends yeah i think with regard to consumer perspective um i guess i would like to highlight three trends that seem particularly noteworthy um the first is of course increasing participation um, so when you look 10 years back in the OECD, we had participation rates among individuals in OEC countries of about 35%, 35% of individuals um, shopping online, basically. Now this has increased to about 60% in only 10 years. Um, and mostly we're focused on OECD countries, but we also look a little bit around. And if you look at other countries, then you see a lot of dynamism in, in Asian Pacific regions, for example, in that regard. We also highlight this large variation in terms of participation between different countries. So in Denmark, Netherlands or UK, you would find uh, participation rates, for example, of up to 80%, whereas in Mexico and Colombia, um, we're talking about 15%. So there's, there's huge differences between countries here. The second important trend I think that is interesting is participation in cross-border purchases. Um, here we mostly have to deal with, with data restricted to the European Union because there, there's not much data to look at. Um, but if you look at the European Union data, you find that in 2018, more than 25% of individuals used e-commerce uh, to import goods and services. And then because we're looking at European countries, of course, many of that imports relate to other EU countries. But it's noteworthy, I think, that there is still 16% of people uh, importing from the rest of the world, from other countries. This percentage has more than tripled over the last 10 years, and it can reach up to 60% in some smaller countries like Iceland or Luxembourg. Why is this interesting? Um, I think it's interesting because traditionally imports were in the domain of firms, and now uh, we're looking at imports from individuals. And if you think from a policy um, perspective that has enormous implications for uh, policy frameworks like taxes, tariffs, consumer protection, and so on. And then the third uh, trend I think I, I, that is noteworthy and should be highlighted is that what individuals are purchasing today is changing. Um, so we're looking here at the, the percentage of consumers purchasing particular types of goods. And if you look at that, then you find declines in classical e-commerce categories like movies, music, computer games, computer or photographic equipment and so on. But you find increases in a lot of products that are relevant to a very broad audience, namely clothing and footwear, which are now at the top of the list with over 60% more or less of consumers um, saying that they, they purchased these type of goods. Uh, food and cosmetics is another example, not very important in the past, 
but now already at 25% of consumers that are purchasing these type of groups, which is the same level more or less as cameras and mobile phones. Um, medicine is also highly uh, dynamic. It's still small, but growing. So these are all new fields that seem particularly interesting. And what we try to highlight in the report is that new business models have played an important role in bringing these, uh, these new type of products onto the market. So, for example, I've mentioned the offline features in the in the context of uh, clothing, the right fit in clothing. Um, but you can also think about groceries, where a lot of business models are um, enhancing convenience. Alibaba's, Hema supermarkets, for example, in China, they will handpick your fruits and vegetables and deliver them in 30 minutes to your home. And there's some evidence uh, showing that uh, habits here are changing. So in, in China, mobile commerce sometimes already seems to be the preferred mode of grocery shopping overall. And then for products like cosmetics and medicine uh, or toilet paper, these are recurring purchases. What we try to highlight is that there is an increasing use of subscription models uh, that is quite quite interesting in, in many areas. And there's many of these examples in the report. Well, that's indeed interesting. Um, let's talk about trust now, because it's a key factor when it comes to e-commerce. Could you share with us uh, what platforms, e-commerce pla platforms, are doing to increase uh, consumer trust? Um, maybe provide some examples? Sure, sure. Happy to do that. Um, well, trust remains an important determinant of e-commerce participation. So much is for sure. But I think what's interesting to note is that the percentage of individuals mentioning uh, trust as an obstacle is decreasing in recent years. And I think there is two explanations for that. One of them is that targeted consumer protection regulation is now existent in many countries and it's becoming increasingly effective. Uh, and the other, and that's what, what your question I think refers to, is uh, business innovation, in particular here at e-commerce marketplaces. And why are we highlighting e-commerce marketplaces in the report? Um, well, we're talking about multi-sided markets here. So we have a large number of buyers and sellers in these markets and they don't know each other. So this requires mechanisms of trust to be established and uh, we're discussing in particular four in this report. Um, the first one that I'd like to highlight is verification checks. So platforms verify identity or credentials of users uh, before granting access to the platform. If you think about Uber, for example, or other ride-sharing platforms, they ask for driver licenses, criminal records, vehicle registration, and so on. The second uh, refers to quality standards related to service quality. So Amazon, for example, um, asks third, palace, uh, third, third seller sorry, to guarantee delivery and returns within a given time frame. Uber in the US, for example, requires vehicles to pass inspection tests with registered mechanics and so on. So there's a lot of um, pre-testing and pre-insuring that the quality is up to the standards. And these are ex-ante measures. So we're talking about measures that are taken before the trans transaction takes place, but there's also ex-post measures uh, taking place after the transaction. And here, one of the examples, product reviews. So if you have product reviews on the website, um, you can be more or less sure that you are going to be satisfied with your purchase and product reviews also tend to foster the overall product quality on the platform, which again enhances trust from consumers. And the fourth, and I think the most important one um, that we highlight are reputation and reviews. That's an approach that has been pioneered by, by eBay. Uh, so here participants rate or review the transaction after it has happened. 
And this is important because the rating is usually public. Um, it allows tracking of performance over time and all transactions on the platform take part of it. So we're not just looking at a particular buyer and seller pair transaction, but we can take into account all the transactions that have happened. And by providing this information public, the platform basically reduces information asymmetry. Um, and the platform, of course, have, has, a, has a perfect spot to collecting these data. And that is something that we that we try to highlight the crucial role of data here. And that's why online intermediaries are so, so important in that regard, um, because they can access both sides of the market and provide information. And we have evidence from OECD countries that shows that in, in, on average, consumers really tend to trust peer platforms. So the evidence relates mostly to, to peer marketplaces here. Um, and that is sometimes the case even more than for conventional businesses. So I'd rather buy from the platform from, from a conventional business. And interestingly, I think, and importantly, this can even compensate for lack of trust in a particular seller. So these are the main, I think, the main channels uh, that are relevant in this regard. Okay. Well, thank you for that such an in-detail reply. Um, the report takes a look at the policy actions uh, that are necessary to increase the participation of everyone in society in e-commerce activities. Yes. Could you, um, can you perhaps talk us through this and also explain why it's important that no one is left out in this e-commerce race? Yeah, that's, a, that's an important question, I think. Um, let me maybe start with the, with the second part of that question. So despite all the advantages and promising developments in e-commerce that we see and that we document in this report, the report also tries to highlight that not everyone currently is benefiting from these advantages. So if you look in particularly at SMEs, for example, uh, they're always lacking behind larger firms. In many OECD countries, more than half, basically, uh, large firms are twice as likely to participate in e-commerce than SMEs. If you look at individuals, you also find large and persistent divides. So consider age, for example, participation rates among individuals aged 16 to 24 is about double the participation rate of individuals uh, aged 55 to 75. And interestingly, this is not just age. We have similar divides uh, with regard to income and education and other divides that we document are related to rural and urban divides. We have gender divides, but these are tend to be a bit smaller and, and also diminishing over time. In contrast, the divides with regard to SMEs, age, income and education, they are widening over time. So what's the problem here? The problem is that e-commerce currently is moving from the margin to the center of business activities, which means for, for a firm like an SME, it's becoming more important in terms of overall business. Uh, for consumers, it's moving from the margin to the center of the consumption bundle, which means it's becoming more important. And that implies that e-commerce divides of today, today uh, can transform into persistent inequalities in terms of income, wealth or well-being. And rising inequalities we know are uh, negatively uh, correlated with growth and well-being over time. So in line with the OECD Inclusive Growth Initiative, which has been goes back, I think, to 2012. Um, we try to highlight that it's important to ensure that no one is left behind. And here we have three broad policy recommendations in the report that we discuss. Uh, the first one is that policies just should support innovative business models. So a lot of the report shows how business model innovation can enhance participation. 
by facilitating entry for SMEs, for example, reducing logistics costs, increasing the product scope and so on. The challenge is that innovation and innovative forms often come in conflict with existing policy frameworks. And here we, we have uh, different proposals for policy action. Uh, one of them is, for example, remove artificial regulatory distinctions. If you think about an omni-channel business model, for example, and you have regulations that are specific to online or the offline world, you come into challenges when, when, when you have to deal with both. Um, update heritage regulation, for example. There might be old sidewalk, sidewalk rules, excuse me, to um, that come in conflict with new logistics solutions like robots or drones. Um, we, we also think it's important to provide more regulatory flexibility. So that can be done, for example, by sandboxes, which has been used in payments, for example, but could be applied to drones. Um, and it's going to be important to provide more regulatory transparency to firm. So Japan, for example, is providing guidelines for firms that shows uh, what regulations they face when they engage with e-commerce. Now, the issue is sometimes business innovation is not enough. So if you think about low-income households, maybe uh, platforms and online players, business sector doesn't have the incentive to, to provide solutions in this regard. So therefore, we also provide several targeted policies um, that can address e-commerce divides. And specifically, um, we propose that policymakers could ensure a level playing field for SMEs, um, providing fair rules for use of intermediation services. The European Commission, for example, has done some advancements in that regard in recent years. Um, policymakers should support multi-stakeholder initiatives. There is, for example, the electronic world trade platform that tries to support SMEs and the policy environment. Um, also, uh, policies to foster trust and skills, for example, through education information campaigns, specifically maybe targeted at elderly or people with low education. Um, and then fostering use in low-income households, for example, through subsidy support schemes, public-private public partnerships, and so on. And then finally, I think that's an overarching um, policy recommendation that we highlight is the need for enhanced policy coordination and measurement. Measurement is important because we want to know who the vulnerable groups are. And policy coordination is important because uh, e-commerce affects a lot of policy areas tax, trade, consumer protection, and so on. So if you want to be effective, you have to come up with a whole of government approach. And these two points that I mentioned last, the measurement and the policy coordination, these go very much in line with the broader agenda that we have at the OECD on digital transformation. And you can find a lot about that if you Google just OECD going digital. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Um, our, last, our last question is about the situation in developing countries because the study mentions that mobile commerce could have a significant role to boost e-commerce in these countries. Um, could you explain this a bit more in detail for us? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's true. Mobile devices have an increasingly important role to play for e-commerce. And uh, we think that that's particularly the case for emerging and developing economies. So if you look at China, for example, you have about 50% of e-commerce transactions today um, being done by mobile devices, and that compares to only 25% in the USA. Uh, why is this the case? Well, basically, um, it's related to the fact in large extent that cell phones and smartphones are just more available in many developing countries than computer laptops or tablets. 
And in the report, we talk about this issue in the context of mobile payment methods. So we talk a lot about mobile wallets, digital wallets, and so on. But here, particularly, I think for developing countries, what's interesting is the subgroup of mobile wallets that we call mobile money. And mobile money is interesting because you don't need a prior relationship with a financial service provider like a bank, for example. The payment is conducted via mobile network or your supplier that you have. Um, and that makes it highly relevant for countries with large share of unbanked population. How does that work? Basically, you go to your local agent from the mobile network operator, you store cash, the agent puts that cash into your wallet and then you can save it, you can withdraw it later, you can transfer it to family, friends, or maybe vendors. So in, um, in developing countries, we see a lot of increase in the use of these, uh, of these technologies, mobile money in specifically. So there's 19 countries now where the number of mobile money accounts exceeds the number of formal bank accounts. Uh, however, we don't see much use in e-commerce yet. So often this is used for person-to-person -person transfers and remittances, for example. When you look at e-commerce in developing countries, then often uh, we have cash on delivery models now. But I think there is a lot of potential for mobile money solutions. And uh, if you want to see a bit how that goes, you can you can look at Kenya, for example. They've developed M-Pesa, a mobile money account a few years ago, um, to support microfinance schemes and remittances. And now the system has become increasingly flexible. So it's integrated with PayPal, for example, which means you can use PayPal to add money to your account or withdraw money, or you can send money from your M-Pesa account to, um, to a bank account of a vendor, for example. And you see that there is significant dynamism evolving in mobile commerce due to these mobile payment schemes. Um, in Kenya specifically, the, M the, the mobile commerce now accounts for a large majority of the total mobile money transfers. You can even use M-Pesa to buy uh, tickets, for example, for a flight with Kenya Airways and so on. And overall, I think uh, there have been studies showing that there is quite some positive effects on economic development in, in Kenya with regard to these mobile money schemes. And that's particularly uh, interesting um, because it allows, for example, many women to, to save money, um, have more control and earnings, and that has reduced the number of households in poverty in Kenya. So I think that's, that's a quite interesting development. Well, that's that's all for, from us. So thank you very much, Jan, for you know for giving us this overview and for updating us on this interesting, very interesting topic, which is e-commerce. Just to remind everyone that the report is available on the OECD website. It's also on our website, itresearchfinder.com. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, and hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you very much, Elena. ITResearchFinder is the leading platform for sourcing the best free IT research reports worldwide. Let us help you navigate the rapidly changing IT landscape with relevant research and reports from leading IT analysts and research houses worldwide.